This is the NSOJ Tanoi Podcast, the official podcast of the National School of Journalism, Bangalore. Hello, everyone. I'm Timothy Franklin, and in this episode of the NSOJ Tanoi Podcast, we talk with the foreign editor of the Times of India, Chidanand Rajgata. We talk about his perspectives of India from afar and of the United States viewed through Indian eyes. Chidanand gives us a sneak preview of the upcoming US elections, tells us who will be better for India, Trump or Biden, and whether India will benefit from a presidential form of government. He also lets us in on his bucket list of stories to cover and shares his views on nationalism, and journalism in India. Grab your headphones and listen in on this intercontinental virtual conversation with the Bangalore man who is the long-serving foreign correspondent of the world's largest selling English newspaper. You are a former Bangalore boy uh, and now you are in Tacoma Park on um, the outskirts of, uh, of Washington DC, foreign editor of the Times of India, Uh, U.S. correspondent, Chidanand Rajgata, welcome to the NSOJ Tanoi podcast. Thank you very much, Timothy. It's good to be with you. So let's uh, go back to, to Bangalore. How did you end up being um, possibly the longest serving foreign correspondent uh, of the United uh, of, uh, of uh, the Times of India uh, in the U.S.? You've been there for 20 years now. Yeah, I've been here for actually 25 years now. Uh, And uh, yeah, what can I say? Um, everything, uh, you know, uh, happens. Uh, I believe life is a series of uh, accidents, <laughs> random, uh, you know, uh, incidents and accidents. There's uh, nothing uh, uh, by design. Um, I just came here in the early 90s, um, mid 90s, uh, 94 exact to be precise. Uh, on what was supposed to be a two-year posting. I was uh, working in Bombay at that time. I was the resident edit editor of Indian Express in uh, Bombay. It was called Bombay those days. It became Mumbai after I left. Um, and it was supposed to be like most foreign correspondents, uh, a three-year uh, posting. You know, um, Typically, foreign correspondents like uh, diplomats come on three-year rotations. They go to uh, you know London, Washington, Moscow. Place like that for instance of three years. Mine uh, just became uh, four, five, six years because uh, in the 90s every year two things happened. One, uh, the government kept falling in India, I believe. First it was uh, Deve Gauda and then Gujral and Vajpayee. There was a rapid turnover so I yeah. think nobody paid attention to me. And then uh, the editors at the time also kept saying Bill Clinton is going to visit and you know please uh, stay on uh, for another year till he finishes the visit to India. Uh, and then, of course, in '98 there was a nuclear test, um, and uh, that took up, ate up another year. And then, just when I was about to pack up '99, there was the Kargil war, yeah. and that ate up another year. And then uh, 2000, there was a Bush versus Gore, that very messy election, if you yes. remember. Yes. Yeah. So six years went by, and then again I was packing up to come, and 9/11 happened. So seven years <laughs> went by, and then there was the Iraq war. So there's a series of uh, you know uh, uh, accidents or uh, you know incidents, and uh, before I knew it, I was here 10 years, and once you're in a place for 10 years, suddenly you know it sort of becomes home. 
you um, are in a very unique position. You're in a unique position because you have um, you're, you're steeped in in Indian political history as a journalist, and yet you have a ringside view of looking at the United States with Indian eyes, and also looking at India from across the oceans. So, can you just give us a little bit um, of an insight into? what your you know lasting perspectives have been over the last 25 years yeah i mean it's it, it, funny you should say that because uh, yeah i'm very much steeped in uh, india and its politics too i'm also steeped very much in indian cricket <laughs> so i follow it religiously yeah. after all these years and somebody actually posted a piece on facebook about uh, resort politics because there's so much of this resort politics going on in rajasthan yeah. I believe. Um, you know, with uh, Sachin Pilot and all that. So I told them actually, my first recollection of resort politics is in, in Bangalore, in Karnataka. The very first instance was when uh, uh, NTR's Telugu Desam MLAs were actually brought to Bangalore for safekeeping uh, with Ramakrishna Hegde, who was NTR's ally. And they were taken to Nandi Hills, which was the resort those days, you know. <laughs> Yes. And it, it was very funny those days. See, these are, you know, pre-internet, pre-Google, pre, pre uh, you know, cell phone days. And the poor MLAs, all they had to do to kill time was play cards uh, in Nandi yes. Hills till somebody brought in a, a, a VCR. I don't think today's generation knows what a VCR is. <laughs> it's a video cassette recorder where you put in a yeah. video cassette and they watched movies. Uh, so yeah, I, I have very uh, you know fond and uh, you know colorful memories of covering politics in uh, Karnataka, and then later on in Delhi. I moved to Delhi in '85 uh, when Rajiv Gandhi became prime minister, and I was there for um, five years, the entire Rajiv Gandhi VP Singh term. Uh, so yeah, I'm very uh, familiar with Indian politics, uh, and I follow it closely to this day. I have to; it's part of um, the job. And at the same time, even when I was in India, I was interested in global politics, in the U.S. politics. I actually came to U.S. the very first time in 1988 when the senior uh, Bush was fighting uh, an election against uh, Mike Dukakis. Who was the, the, and I happened to be in um, U.S. in uh, August, September, October uh, of uh, 88 during that election and, you know, saw the debates. And that was my uh, sort of first intimate look at U.S. politics. And... Um, and then, of course, I came here during the uh, Clinton first term. So, yeah, it's, I've, yeah. I've, I've seen a lot on both sides <laughs> uh, of the world. What, in your uh, view, is a good summary of, of how the U.S. has responded, both in terms of public policy um, as well as a civil uh, society response to the pandemic? I think the U.S. suffered from a sense of complacency first to start with, that it won't come here, it won't affect them. Uh, so initial days, uh, just to roll back a little bit, um, the COVID thing start. I mean, uh, coronavirus basically started surfacing in January. Around Jan between January 15th and 20th, you started to hear of reports from China um, and I and around the third week of January, it, it started to appear a little serious. And if you recall, um, there was also a lot of talk around that time of Trump visiting India. They hadn't announced the dates yet. Yeah. Uh, I think they announced it uh, towards late Feb uh, January. And if you look up the Times of India, I actually wrote a piece on the uh, edit page of Times of India called Apocalypse Chow. And this was about, uh, you know, uh, the coronavirus. 
I wrote this piece on January 27th, and then between January 27th and uh, February 20th, when there was this build-up to the Trump visit to India, I kept yeah. thinking that he's not going to go because every day you kept hearing more and more uh, stories about the virus. And I was almost certain that Trump is not going to visit India, that they're going to call off the visit. I didn't book my ticket. I was supposed to, you know, uh, come. And of course, he went ahead with the visit and uh, I uh, came to India two or three days before him, I think February 21 or 22, I landed in Delhi and I saw in Delhi, by the way, everyone was wearing uh, masks, not everyone, yeah. but, uh, and in fact, I cut short my visit uh, in India uh, because my wife actually told me that, uh, hey, I can't get any hand sanitizer or anything in, uh, in, on Amazon, it's all sold out. And would you believe it, I actually picked up hand sanitizer and masks in Bangalore, <laughs> in Vyalikawal at that big medical store uh, on the Vyalikawal yeah. main road, after four or five medical stores had run out of it, I finally found it there. I brought my initial <laughs> set of masks and hand sanitizers from Bangalore, would you believe it? Yeah. And I land here in Washington DC at the Dallas airport, Washington, Dallas airport, and I found nobody's wearing masks. You know, his virus is already in, it's raging, nobody's wearing masks, and there's no, you know, nobody stopped, nobody took temperature, people were streaming in. Um, yeah. And I, uh, you know, so the approach was totally um, sort of, to begin with, very casual. Um, is this election different than anything else you've you've covered in the U.S. over the last 25 years? Certainly, it will be dif uh, different, okay, and it'll be different for various reasons. This, you also have uh, a situation where, um, you know, um, you have two very, very uh, sort of individuals. I mean, first of all, there's the age thing. That's that yeah. itself is an amazing uh, thing. These are yeah. uh, Americans. One candidate is going to be 74, and they will be 78. Yeah. Uh, these are two of the oldest guys ever to run uh, for our office uh, in the yeah. U.S. Uh, and then, of course, Trump is a, a, a unique character. No matter you know how you assess him, he is just um, nothing like what the U.S. Uh, has seen in its history, certainly in my in my stay here and probably in the lifetime of most Americans, he is just uh, unique. So yes, it's going to be a very different uh, election and also because of the, the whole, uh, you know, pandemic situation, you have, uh, you know, uh, half the country which is uh, living in mortal fear. But uh, because of the pandemic, many people will uh, prefer to vote, uh, you know, mail-in or absentee. And, and that works to his favor, right? Because uh, the Democrats tend to be the ones who are, you know, less likely to come out physically and exactly. vote. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So a lot of people are anticipating a very messy election. Trump himself has said he may or may not accept the result. I mean, it's an incredibly brazen thing to say. Yeah. You know, four months uh, before the election that, uh, ah, we'll see, I might accept it, I might not. Is there some credibility in um, in the Trump administration's skepticism of the WHO? Um, the WHO has had a track record of getting things wrong. Uh, they've been all over the place um, in terms of their messaging. and. Mm -hmm. Uh, so is Trump justified in sort of uh, uh, completely withdrawing from the WHO? What is your... Let, let, let me put it this way. Uh, it, when a pandemic breaks, and certainly in this case, uh, it's a very fluid situation. You know, it's very, it's very fluid and uh, dynamic because uh, you, you don't know everything when it starts. There's still uh, stuff coming in. 
and why WHO, Dr. Fauci was uh, wrong in many places, like Trump himself points out, and Trump himself was wrong about so many things. So, yeah. and even today, we still have doubts. For instance, that uh, the last couple of days, the big story is whether you can, you know, contract a virus a second time. You know, whether yeah. it, it can recur once you this thing, whether and how long antibodies work. There's a lot of stuff, lot of uncertainty. So I can understand the first few weeks, uh, you know, even a couple of months. You know, everyone took time. Uh, to get their heads around it. Uh, the problem where I think um, Trump is getting panned uh, and deservedly so is even after a lot of evidence came in that this is this is uh, you know going to be damaging, uh, his primary concern was um, the economic situation, which is uh, the key to his re-election. At least that's what he yeah. figured that it's best to get the country back into business because that's the only way he if he's going to get uh, re-elected by you know uh, talking up the economy and even there there is some justification because i mean how long can you keep people locked up yeah there yeah. is some and, and at the same time you know there was some merit to his argument that look we just can't you know hunker down forever you know yeah. uh, like even in india you know forget governments you know people will rebel i mean there's at some point if it uh, if it's a battle between um you know escaping the virus or getting uh, hunkering down and sheltering from the virus to an empty stomach yeah you know you will take the risk to go out and you know for food yeah. to earn money uh, no government can keep that down eventually who's going to be better for india going forward trump or biden oh uh, it's a very easy question um, see india uh, fortunately and i think it's a it's a wonderful trait uh, the indian uh, sort of politics uh, and indian as a nation india does not depend on personalities yeah. uh, you think so oh yeah absolutely absolutely it, it simply won't matter you know another four years of trump we'll manage it another four years of you know or, you know four years of biden will man yeah see a uh, uh, a former ambassador a very wise man he passed away naresh chandra used to tell me you know we are we are a old and long not just nation but civilization you know yeah. so uh, the entire indian attitude is this too shall pass yeah you know this too shall pass this is this is not a you know country which is but in terms uh, of policy who do you think uh, will be better for india in terms of foreign policy in terms of domestic policy given the vast number of indians the diaspora in the united states um, mm -hmm. also given um, and you referred to this i think there's a clear movement uh, towards the united states uh, india no longer being non aligned but being more aligned to, to the us so if you take all of this in uh, you know in totality uh, who do you think will be better for 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 india as uh, as a president again i i i i'm i'm being honest it's not a dodge uh, i don't think it makes a, a great deal of difference um, the thing is if it's a trump second term there'll be unconditional support to india about everything right uh, as you've already seen the trump administration will also keep quiet about you know certain human rights uh, you know excesses or uh, certain civil liberties crackdowns you know because they themselves are not on the strongest of uh, wicket whereas if it's a biden administration you know there'll be critical voices uh, particularly there are a lot of radical what they are called um, you know radical left uh, democrats um, who might uh, uh, you know criticize india in various forums but we shouldn't be afraid of criticism and the thing i find 
amusing is we are so touchy about you know yeah, yeah. somebody says you know your human rights are wrecked and you know you, you your answer should be yeah it's true we are working yeah. to fix it it's yeah. a long process we're not perfect right. are you yeah yeah so i i i find it very uh, this thing that we go bananas when somebody criticizes us i think its criticism is good you know let people point out you know that uh, we have our faults and let's acknowledge it and say we are a work in progress you yeah. may be perfect but you know we are a work in progress um now again i'm going to put you on the spot for for india um we have a parliamentary form of democracy which mm-hmm. means um that you know you could have a prime minister you know uh, being in in control of a country for for however long he or she is elected to power uh, unlike the us which you know uh, presidents are term limited to two terms how long do you see uh, prime minister modi um being uh, at the helm of affairs in india i don't know i i you know i i i feel that uh, you know he's had a particularly uh, troublesome start to the second term um this whole covid uh, coronavirus thing is not uh, sort of helpful um, fortunately or unfortunately it's happened early enough in his term that he may have time to recover the next election is still uh, you know going out for years away, four years away um and uh you have to remember that between his two terms the first term there was that whole demonetization fiasco and now this fiasco um and it's a sort of double whammy particularly for the poor and i don't know how resilient they are to take you know two such back to back blows uh, particularly if there's no recovery you know by the end of uh, his his term so i wouldn't be surprised you know at the end of you know he's up to 10 years is a long time and you'll have a pretty good idea uh, of whether he's managed to deliver or not and the people of india will have their say at the end of it um he's lucky though that uh, he has no opposition worthwhile to speak of as of today but there's still four years you don't know what's going to happen what you know i've seen the most um, you know confident uh, rulers get tough out when they were in a much better position notably mr watchpai in you know 2004 nobody expected uh, him to lose you remember the shining india i think campaign yes. in those days so a lot could happen um and uh, if he wins another term well good for him but uh, the thing is india's problems uh, sort of are beyond um, you know uh, one party or one prime minister which is why i this is my view i feel uh, you, i know you were going to ask whether you know we should have a presidential form no i'm totally against it you know we are completely ill suited we are we are a, a, a federation um, you know um, of states a union of states um and i think a parliamentary system best represents uh, uh, you know us i think it would be horrible to have i mean can you imagine already there's been so much talk about you know the 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 hindutvization of india you know which is ridiculous you know because we we are a, a, you know a very plural syncretic diverse uh, society you know can you imagine forcing down one language or one culture on people of uh, northeast or people of south uh, why should it be that way we are all indians but we can be different kinds of indians there's nothing 
you know, wrong with that. And we can appreciate each other's language, each other's culture. You know, we should take pride in our diversity and not try to uh, sort of hammer us into one uniform. Um, so uh, I, I would think, you know, we can work on making our uh, sort of parliamentary democracy better. It's not perfect. There are a lot of you know, imperfections there. Uh, but presidential system, no. Um, and least of all, uh, you know, the kind of uh, system that Mr. Trump hopes to have, an imperial presidency. <laughs> the nationalism that we see in, in India has, um, over the years, uh, probably moved to a, a, a different gear. And your, 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 your former wife, Gauri, was, was uh, gunned down in her house. Um, and as a direct result of some of these sort of uh, uh, sentiments, um, what emotional response do you feel as a human being for that? And what you know intellectual response as a journalist uh, do you also have uh, when you objectively view things? Well, obviously, it was a it was a personal. Um, loss she was uh, you know uh, we were separated for many years but uh, we continued to remain friends and she was a wonderful person but uh, she was a very you know warm-hearted and courageous person um, very um, idealistic uh, and stood up for for you know uh, the less fortunate and the you know marginalized in our society and i can tell you that uh, you know we have a housekeeper you visited my house in bangalore the housekeeper yes. i have was i inherited from her she literally called me up and said, I'm sending, you know, you need a housekeeper. You know, um, this lady is a widow and she has two young daughters. Make sure that daughters go to uh, school. Uh, it's your, you know, responsibility to educate. She was that kind of person who would just take charge and, you know. Um, so uh, the sense of loss, uh, I have a great sense of personal loss um, as a friend, uh, not just as ex-wife. Um, and intellectually, of course, this was something that um, we had discussed, not just me and her, but a lot of uh, common friends that, uh, you know, this kind of um, ugly, uh, I, 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 I find most uh, nationalism really ugly um, and nativism. Uh, because who is a, uh, you know, native or who is a national? It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not something which can be easily decided and who decides? You know, uh, are you saying you're a native or a nationalist because you came uh, to India, what, uh, 200 years ago or uh, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago? Uh, what happened before that, right? Um, how about 5,000 years ago? How about 10,000 years ago? You know, because at the end of the day, we are all migrants, right? The, the, the yes. history of mankind yeah. is one of migration, okay? To confine ourselves to history of, um, you know, 200 or 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 or even 5,000 years, I find it very limiting. Um, the history of mankind is a lot longer, a lot deeper. And really, and that that directly uh, sort of uh, fits into my whole um, idea of, you know, globalization, that we're basically, you know, globalists. And then to have these guys talk about, you know, religion and nationalism and you know, I, I find it yeah. you know very uh, small, petty, and <laughs> defeating. But but with uh, dangerous consequences. I mean, as as Gauri found out, uh, it's small and petty, but can't be trivialized. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. we're going to uh, wrap up with uh, 
you know, a theme that we started off on. You, you Now, as you look forward in your career as a journalist, as a foreign correspondent, as the foreign editor of the world's largest English daily, what do you look forward to, uh, to covering? What is on your bucket list of events to cover? My heart longs to travel in India. I have not traveled very much in recent times. When I come, it's usually Delhi, Bombay, Bangalore, you know, family, friends. And before you know it, it's gone two weeks, you know, three weeks. Uh, even a month is too short. Um, so at some point in my heart, I would like to come and travel. And when I say travel, I mean really sort of retail, local boondocks travel to go to, you know, yeah places that I've gone as, as uh, you know, a student and as a sort of younger journalist. Um, my last sort of uh, really on the ground uh, sort of retail travel was the 89, ele 91 election, you know, okay. uh, the one where uh, Rajiv Gandhi was assassinated. Both 80, uh, 84, 85, uh, 89, 91 elections were, uh, you know, travel elections which I totally enjoyed I haven't done that in so many years so I'd like to do that I'd like to visit a lot of you know places um, and having seen uh, India from a distance uh, for 25 years I'd like to you know uh, get closer to the ground when I sort of you have um, a lovely home in in Bangalore uh, we love you uh, reading your columns uh, in the Times of India uh, with insights and humor. And we wish you the very best. And we hope that you'll come and uh, uh, resume, you know, uh, whenever you're in India, speaking to the students of NSOJ. I'd love to. At some point. And it's been a pleasure speaking with you, Chidanand Rajkata. Thank you very much, Timothy. It's good to be here. Thank you. This was a National School of Journalism production. Please subscribe and join us next week for another episode of the NSOJ Tanoi podcast.